Welcome everybody in. Today is one of our security sessions panel discussions. Like always, we've brought together some great thought leadership in this space. I'd like to thank Will, Chris, and Stas for being here with me today. Uh, leading up to the weekend, we do have an interesting conversation we wanted to delve into. So before we get too far into this, I'm going to turn it over. I'd like, if you don't mind, each of you to maybe give a brief introduction. Um, Will, maybe you could start with yourself. Let us know a little bit about yourself, what you're working on, uh, what your background is. Sure. So, uh, yeah, I'm Will Klusowski. So I'm the Chief Security Architect at Avertium. We're a full-scope end-to-end security services organization doing consulting and managed security services. I've been in the industry for 23 or 24 years now, uh, with more than half of that time been in consulting with a little bit of time starting from the U.S. Marine Corps and a little time with some retailers. Very cool. Well, thank you for being here. Um, Stas, uh, if you wouldn't mind giving us a brief introduction. Sure. Um, so my name is Stas Bazooka, kind of like Bazooka. Um, I, <laughs> um, I've been in the information security space for about 20 years as well. Um, this is the only thing I've ever done. Um, my background is mostly uh, information security, but in, in the financial services uh, uh, section. Um, um, my background is very technical, um, and, uh, currently I'm the CEO and founder of compile. Very cool. Stas, I believe I heard you on the defense in depth podcast that came out this morning. Uh, it was a great listen. Uh, Thank that, that was pretty cool. Thank you. And, uh, Chris, if you wouldn't mind, uh, giving us a brief introduction as well. Sure. Uh, I am the chief information security officer at NB power. Uh, that is uh, New Brunswick Power. Uh, so, uh, and that is not New Brunswick, New Jersey. That's New Brunswick, <laughs> Canada. Hey. Uh, so, um, so yeah, I'm in charge of of uh, all things security, both uh, cybersecurity and physical security, uh, at the the local utility here that is uh, responsible for making sure that we literally keep the lights on uh, across the province. Um, and we are the, the major utility here. Uh, prior to this, I worked in security consulting for a long time. And that was where, uh, um, when I uh, joined what was Integralis, which has changed names at least three times now. Um, and, uh, and I was a recovering auditor and that's where I worked together with Will. Awesome, very, very cool. Well, thank you, uh, the three of you for being here. Um, I'm going to actually kick this off with Stas. I'm curious to kind of just get your thoughts on the idea of incidents and breaches continue to rise year over year. Um, you know, all it takes is a quick Google search. Um, and, and, you know, you see the big the big names now, uh, as well as the little names, uh, or the main names, I should say, you're maybe not so familiar with. Um, and I think that a common uh, concept that that comes up with this, in the security and technology field is just the idea of bringing cybersecurity, information security into the limelight as a priority for an organization. So I'd like to kind of just have you expand upon the, the concept of why do you think cybersecurity and information security aren't a priority, although we see the rise of breaches and incidents year over year? Well, that's a good question. Um, I was actually at a conference uh, earlier this week um, with with a number of different CISOs, and and this topic came up a couple of times where like the budgets are actually decreasing in a lot in a lot of sectors, especially in the in the in, in the security space. Um, I think 
a lot of it really comes down to being able to quantify the actual risk to the organization. And it's crazy how many people still cannot, uh, can still cannot put together a, like a proper risk management program. Um, I know there's been a lot of talk about the FAIR system as well for, for risk management, um, but just, just being able to focus on fundamentals and explain to the C-suite and the board level um, executives what the risk to the organization is and what practical keyword here practical steps can be put in place for an organization to be able to to be able to uh, secure itself better um, and to be able to focus on uh, priorities and actually get get them done uh, for that organization to put a road plan together um I think a lot of companies are still um are still struggling to, with the fundamentals in an organization obviously the larger you are the harder it is um but they're um I, I think in a, in a nutshell, we need to we need to focus on fundamentals and make sure that we get them right and that we maintain them um, going forward. Interesting. Will, you know, spending so much time on the consulting end, um, you know, you've had obviously an opportunity to speak with a ton of different organizations, I'm sure on various topics, but when it comes to just the priority of cybersecurity and information security, um, is there a commonality in where kind of the pitfalls come in or or why maybe it wouldn't be prioritized in one organization over another? Yeah, it, it's interesting because, you know, as someone working and delivering in information security, everybody we talk to, that's what they're doing, right? So the idea that it's not prioritized is is kind of, like, we don't see that. What we see is, oh, I have limited budget, right? <laughs> so you have organizations that that have only so much money to spend and so what we tend to do and what I tend to do when we work with organizations like that is, is help figure out where the best place to spend that money is. Um, so it's not always, oh, they're not doing anything about security, but they only have so much money that they can spend. So part of that is being able to prioritize the risks so that you are spending money. Like I, I like to say all the time that you are locking the doors before you're putting laser beams in the air ducts, right? So that you're getting the most out of your money. Uh, and then having a plan. The other part, you know, a big part of consulting is, you know, making sure that that CISO has all of the ammunition they need to go back to the board and say, hey, look, we're improving, but there's still risks. And here's how you're going to get, you know, here's how you're going to get your return. Cybersecurity is not always an ROI type of thing, right? So there's more creative ways um, that we have to work with our clients to make sure that they get the money they need. Interesting. Yeah, you brought up some good topics that I think we're going to dive into in a, a little bit. But uh, Chris, I wanted to give you a chance to um, kind of how you think about prioritizing um, security from your standpoint, whether it's physical or uh, cyber information. Well, yeah, so that uh, that all starts with a business impact analysis. You know, what is it that we can and can do without? Um, and, uh, so for critical infrastructure, for me, that is making sure that we still have the ability to deliver power and generate power and move power around the province. And, um, if, if we are, uh, focused on that, then that's where most of the effort should be. And there would be less priority put on other things that may traditionally be part of, of uh, what would be an information security program. And that's one of the things that's kind of opened my eyes uh, here is, is that before coming into a power company, we talk about InfoSec. Uh, information security is not key to a power company. Yes, we have customer information, but your power up goes out, you might die. 
in winter. Uh, we lose your information. That's that's a big privacy problem, but you're not going to die. Fair so enough. it's that's you know you prioritize it. You do that business impact analysis that drives your your risk assessments, yep. your prioritization, and what you need to to uh, to focus on in your security program overall. I'd like to chime in on that because I I think it's super important for those of us in the security industry to understand, because Chris is in the business, right? And this is what CISOs are challenged with, and I don't have to tell him is, you know, or companies create these really cool products that do all this really cool stuff. And they're like, oh, mine's better than everybody else's. Yeah, but does it fit, right? Um, the analogy I use is I would love to have a Porsche 911 S turbo, right? It's an amazing car, um, but my Ford truck does what I need it to do, right? Uh, <laughs> So um, when you're dealing with limited budgets, understanding what you can spend your money on so that you can keep the lights on in Chris's case, literally, right? And having that prioritization, it's not always about getting the best product. It's, you know, um, we, uh, we talk a lot about, you know, threat actors and the baddies being sort of, you know, at war. No business wants to go to war. Business has a job in Chris's case to keep the lights on or to sell your widgets or to make your product. And the job of the CISO and, and everybody in security is to make sure that that job can happen, not to implement the coolest new security stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. Well, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's a good point. And sorry, it's, um, it, you know, you, you say, hey, you know, we want to get the latest, coolest stuff in there. We have a tendency in the security industry to think that we, that, that whatever it is that we're saying and whatever risk that we have is the most important. And, you <laughs> yeah. know, that's, that's sort of the tendency of a lot of people is my project is always the most important. Um, but then you, you have to realize that in, in security, we are a business enabler. You're there to make sure that everything else that we do in the core business is done safely. In rare cases, you may actually be the, the, uh, the core part of the business, but generally in the industry, no, you're there to make sure that that the core part of the business happens and that it happens safely. Yeah, I have a former colleague, Andy Hudson, who used to say, if if the if your company is an automobile, we are the seatbelts and airbags. We security is not supposed to be exciting. Um, I want a cooler seatbelt. Yeah, no, <laughs> nobody, yeah. nobody buys a car because you may buy it because of the safety things, yeah, especially yeah. if you're buying it for your children, which is tends to be but you know, you don't buy it because of that. You buy it because of the way it handles or the cornering or however, you know, it does, does it achieve, does it haul enough things that you need it to do, right? You don't buy it because it's got airbags. I'm certainly <laughs> not buying a car that doesn't have a seatbelt. Or yeah, airbags. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Table stakes. Yeah. But it, um, yeah, I mean, often security is seen as a cost center, right? And we have to be seen as a business enabler or not the office of, uh, of no, right? Um, so that's why when I opened up, what now the first question like it has to be a reasonable level of security that has to be applied because you do have to enable the business um and a lot of people forget that i mean i'm sure we've all worked in organizations where uh security has been just especially in larger organizations my experience has been they've just been it's been red tape and blockers all the way through um even you know even when we're trying to get things done proactively it's it it's it's really difficult and like with this modern like with with how fast technology is moving and how quickly like the threat actors are uh expanding and and adapting like we need to be able to respond just as quickly and like um we need to enable that change in an organization to be able to do that 
For sure. Will, you said something really interesting, and I'm curious from your perspective. While you speak with, I'm sure, many uh, information security um, kind of professionals, are you often part of helping those searching for a solution also kind of identify what a budget for a solution would look like? Yeah, ideally, you know, um, you, you want to partner these organizations I've worked for and where I work for now, like we want to partner, right? We're, we're not going to, uh, we're not interested in a transactional relationship, right? So for us being able to meet with the CISO and their team on a regular basis, have them share their roadmap. You know, I have history of, of kind of doing this through my past at a lot, many places I've worked where, you know, when the CISO is ready to go through budgeting, We'll bring in our team and say, okay, you've got this IAM project. We know, we think this is what it's going to cost you to get it done. Um, here's the resources you need. Here's what it's going to go. You know, sometimes that information can be based on an assessment. Sometimes we're just bringing in our third party information. But the more we can, again, help that CISO have all the information they need when they go get to the budget that it's most accurate, then that's kind of that's the best way to do it, right? That's the best way to leverage those partners, I think. Yeah. They so Oh, go on. If, if I may add to that, understanding what their budgeting cycle is um, is is important, uh, and um, what the really what the timing is, because if if you miss that timing and you and you're going in, you're trying to as a as a consultant or a vendor or something, and you're you're trying to convince them of of the latest thing, you're going to have to recognize that that may not happen for a year. Mm -hmm. Uh, until the next budgeting cycle and that opens up that they can actually spend. Yeah, and that's the best way we would do it and I would do it is um, you have that relationship. And so when Chris as a CISO is ready to do his budgeting cycle, he calls Will, I come in the room with whoever else we need to get together and then we work on it together collaboratively. And then they get the benefit of having that outside information, that third party to kind of help it up instead of them having to do a bunch of random research. What does DLP cost these days, right? How are we going to migrate, blah, blah, blah. Instead, we can say, hey, look, we've got all these projects. We've done it in the past. Here you go. Um, and then on the consulting side, you know, full transparency, we now know what we can potentially help with in the future, which makes all of that sort of supporting process after the fact even easier. Because we don't, we're, you're not going to have random, you don't, you don't have to worry about random people trying to sell you something you're not ready to buy because you've got your partner already engaged. Okay. Yeah. Well, you're still going to have we'll them knock on the door. Yeah, they're still going to knock on the door. Today, but, you know. <laughs> and I'm still going to get requests to fill a system analyst role, too. And for our CISSP. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's interesting because, uh, you know, Stas, mm -hmm. just, just set the table here, right? So, you know, you're, you're part of a, you know, you're a vendor selling a solution. Mm -hmm. Uh, Will, you're 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 advising uh, clients on solutions, and Chris, you're the guy that uh, you know everyone's trying to get to, right? The you know at the at the top of the food chain. So it's interesting to have the the a well-rounded table here to have this chat. Stas, you know there was a couple things there said in regards to buying cycles, um, and also I think something that hasn't been said yet, but I I'm sure Will and Chris would would agree. There has to be some value um, that that an in, a, a security professional could understand that can be translated to management as far as um, the proof. Right, we're we're lacking here. This is the problem. 
this is the scope and these are the gaps so this is the solution stas went with compile or just with your experience in general how do you go about kind of demystifying the conversation moving it away from just the cost because the cost is going to be there you're going to have to get there the numbers are going to have to work but providing a solution and showing the value before a customer can actually you know become a customer um i think this is going directly back to will's point right like we we build we build partnerships um, we're not just transactional. We need to understand what this customer is actually doing, why we're on the call, right? The worst, I, I'm, I don't know if you guys can relate to this, but like the worst thing that could happen is you're on a call and they don't know what they want and no one knows why we're really on the call. I mean, this, ha this happened to me many a times. Never happened. <laughs> no, never. Um, but if the customer is serious and they know what they're trying to, you know, what they're trying to, what they're trying to get to and what they're trying to fix, then there's nothing better than building that with them, especially if you you know you, you can build uh, a relationship with them. You're on the same page, and then you can talk about deliverables and agree on timelines, um, and on those deliverables and and you know when they're going to be able to to see an ROI. Um, so I generally approach a conversation with this person has a problem, and I have the skill set to potentially solve it. And how do we provide either a solution or a service or whatever it is to get them to where they need to be? And is there a good fit here for? Uh, all parties involved. And then the other thing that I think is interesting that's finally happening in the industry is a lot of vendors, uh, vendors, consultants, suppliers, whatever, everyone's starting to talk to each other. Everyone's starting to share data. Like we're, you know, we're actively talking to our competitors and we're like figuring out what they're doing. And what, like, it's I, my experience. This has not been the case for the past, you know, in the past. And it, I think it's just really interesting that uh, there's just a lot of data sharing. And I think it's probably a direct result of just the, the amount of data breaches that we're seeing um, and just people just getting nervous. Yeah, I, I think one of the big things also uh, that's interesting to talk about, and Chris, I'd like to know your thoughts. How do you evaluate in when you're coming up against a new project? Um, is it time to bring in an additional resource or is this the kind of thing that I need to outsource? How do you think about that? Uh, well, generally that's, that's pretty clear um, because you know that your current workload, you know, the stuff that, that you're working on and, uh, and, you know, very rarely do I have somebody who's, who uh, is available to take on a huge new project. Uh, so you've got to start shifting things around. Um, it, uh, it comes down often to, first of all, is this a, is this a short project? Um, do I have the skills in-house to be able to do this or not? If I, if I don't have the skills, uh, then yeah, I'm definitely going to look to outsource. If it's a shorter project, easier to outsource. If it's uh, if it's a larger project, then I'm probably going to do that um, uh, do that in house, and uh, and very often it depends on my company's appetite to hire at that time, um, and you know everybody's been at companies where their that appetite changes uh, over time. So if I'm unable to uh, to get something done. Uh, because the company's not letting me hire, then I need to outsource. And I know that um, that uh, when I was working at a consultant, um, trying to uh, to to get some business in, um, actually one of my my uh, power peers over in Nova Scotia, next province over, um, 
uh, I was told, oh, no, you're not going to uh, have any success here. We actually got slapped for doing too much outsourcing. So we now have to bring things in-house. So you have to understand that there may be other external pressures, uh, especially in the public sector um, uh, or any regulated business where there uh, there aren't just internal pressures saying, well, you know, it's because of financial results or, or, or whatever we decided that we're not going to hire or we're not going to hire in that department. Um, there, there may be other, other factors that, uh, that if you are uh, working in the services industry, trying to, to get into a customer, you can probably get a lot of that information from the news or from talking around uh, with your partners and contacts in the, the industry for that sort of appetite and uh, for is there is there something real there or not and, okay and I found this on no interesting <laughs> hold hello on. I was like oh, someone else yeah, yeah. The answer uh, yeah. <laughs> um but uh, uh Chris uh, I assume it's because um the risk had probably gone up too too high about having uh, too much outsourced or like a key man risk kind of situation where there's too too many functions that were outsourced uh, no, it's it's actually um, due to rates because right. um, power rates are regulated, and right. therefore, uh, because everybody wants cheaper power, um, right. Right, right. then um, they were saying mm, there there's this oversight whenever you are applying for rates that um, all of your projects are then opened up and reviewed by the local energy utility board. Right. Um, and so what's, what's capital, what is, is OPEX. And, and, yeah. uh, and so then they say, well, you're spending too much in this area you're spending too much in that area. Maybe you should change that. And so there's, there are things that are not under your control uh, because the, the, the rates for power are controlled. No, that's not, you know, I I recognize that in the energy industry, that is something that is a little bit more unique. Um, mm -hmm. Telecoms might have some of that. I wish Canadian comms had, uh, telecoms had, <laughs> because oh my God, it's the most expensive cell phones in the world. I'm I'm Canadian. I understand this pain, um, but I live in New York. Um, so, uh, but I completely get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. interesting though, because I've always, uh, you know, I. I like the diet, like you have a pretty clear cut version of, of, or a more clear version of when to insource, outsource it. One of the things I always sort of preach is um, if you don't have the skills to do it, then, then don't, don't just take somebody and expect them to be able to do it and get the same result. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot, especially in newer technologies, there's a lot of things that tend to get like DLP, I think like 35 or 40% of the deployments fail, right? Within the mm -hmm. first year. Um, and this is, that's probably an old statistic. It's a newer, it's, you know, it's more, it's more stable now, but again, even if you're, if you're embarking on something new, um, a lot of the times it's not just about that technology, but okay, how are you going to manage it? Right. Yeah. This project doesn't have just an implementation cost. It has a governance cost and a management cost and Absolutely. that may require you to hire people. Right. And you may need to hire those people to manage it, but you may need to outsource the the implementation of it because sh the example I always use is, um, you know, my microwave broke a while back. Um, I know I've basic carpentry. I'm a pretty handy guy. I could take the old one off the wall and put a new one in. Um, but if I do it, something's going to inevitably happen. I'm going to hurt my back. I'm going to be upset. It's going to take me two days of effort. But I can just pay somebody a couple hundred bucks to come in and get it done because they do that all the time. And sure enough, the guy shows up and 15 minutes later, it's put up, right? 
Um, and that's sort of, you know, that's a very smaller scope version of that. But a lot of times if you want to get the thing implemented right and then get it into that management process, it's about, you know, just paying for the talent. And and I think in Chris's case, you could probably argue, hey, this would be more efficient if we outsourced it, at least the implementation or the strategy or maybe the management, right? You don't have to do Absolutely. all of it. There's ways to yeah, cut for it. For implementation, that is something that is is uh, certainly something that in most cases, I'm probably going to outsource it if it's a new technology. If it's something where it's, it's hey, I already have eight of these firewalls and I'm going to put in an extra two. Yeah, no. My guys know how to do that. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, now it's, it's just a matter of do I have the capacity? But uh, yeah, if I'm bringing in a, uh, a completely new technology, new process, then yeah, I'm going to bring in the people who know this stuff best. They're going to advise it. They're going to train train my people. And then later on, if I find that uh, that I still need some tuning or something, then I'm going to, to reach out to that partner uh, again. But uh, um, that's when it's related to, say, technology. But sometimes it's processes. You know, we talk about... We talk about policies and things like that. Do I have the, the skills and resources internally to develop these policies? Or is this something that I need to go uh, somewhere else to, to say, hey, look, you know, I, I would love to do this, but I, I just can't do it. Um, mm -hmm. and that may be risk assessments or, or whatever. Yeah. No, yeah, in the world of data privacy, sense. we get into the data privacy office and the legal counsel, and a lot of times they're getting involved. It's, it can get messy for sure. For oh sure. yeah, privacy. Yeah, lawyers. Leave that to yeah. lawyers. I I looked into that as as a uh, a security practitioner. Nope that that should be done by lawyers. <laughs> oh for, for sure. Uh, yeah for sure. <laughs> That's interesting. You know, um, Chris, you were touching on the idea of just new technologies, emerging technologies, maybe that just you, you internally don't have the uh, the bandwidth, maybe the the experience with. Um, are there any specific technologies in the last few years that you've seen that you've been interested in that you're looking at or bringing into kind of your, your security fold? Um, anything you're evaluating? I think we might need an NDA for that one. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, there is a there is a lot of stuff um, that uh, that if I were to to talk generally. Um, you know, you go around uh, conferences and you see what what sort of things are are hot, and that that um, that changes from year to year when you, mm -hmm. when you go to conferences. Like um, it, it and what seems to be really hot right now in the market, at least on the the vendor side of things, everything is around the endpoint, and it's it's much more about what what can we do in in the uh, in in uh, XDR and EDR. And, yeah, for sure, and, and all of that, and and. Then uh, Will, I think maybe in a recent uh, uh, LinkedIn post, you said NDR. It was like, wasn't well, isn't, isn't that just IDS? <laughs> it it kind of is, except that it adds in that that a uh, little bit more of the automated response stuff. So it, it, you know, who knows? But either way, um, you know, they, they somebody will be talking about that, and then we'll 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 go in and and figure out that doesn't work. Uh, as well as we hoped it would, so we're going to go back into UBA and and, uh, and all the behavior uh, stuff, and 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 it's all about logs and activity uh, monitoring and and uh, seeing what we can spit out from there. And then that doesn't work, and so we go back to the endpoint or something else. 
it's um, trial and error, right? I mean, it's just it's just troubleshooting at a at a very high and expensive scale <laughs> until you get it right. <laughs> well, we we are seeing like that shift that the the and the NDR joke was every few years we go from endpoint to network, and yeah. we're seeing a shift now in sim, right? Of what yeah. it does. I remember, you know, not to plug a product, but I remember when I first, you know, I was when I first started working with Microsoft products and saw what Sentinel did versus mm -hmm. how every other sim worked. I was like, well, it's that doesn't make sense to me. It didn't because they were looking at it differently, right? Yeah. Um, so you're, we're starting to see that in kind of how we monitor, how we manage. There is the MDR, XDR, all of this, you know, um, type of stuff coming out. And and so I, I get where you're coming from. <laughs> it's just very, it's entertaining. It's fun to watch. But yeah, it's still at the end of the day, it's coming down to, you know, are, are we able to monitor things as quickly as possible? Can we automate things? That's the big thing I'm seeing, seeing a lot of, right, is, um, people talk about the evolution of the SOC. Uh, and so automating as many things as you can uh, correctly, right? That's the other part of it is, um, you know, being able to make decisions that are actually impactful and not creating more risk, right? So I think that's a lot of the trajectory, a lot of the stuff that we're seeing with AI and machine learning within the, the environments now is really starting to change the way that we look and manage security. For sure. Yeah, what uh, what I am interested in the evolution of is there's a lot of attention that's paid to IT because you know there are, it's a uh, it's it's easier for people to get their hands on and learn um, and there's a lot of IT environments. Once you get into an OT environment, there's much less standardization, and um, and most people just can't set up. Hey, here's a transformer in my home lab. Uh, so what do I do to to set up a SCADA network in in order to make sure that that happens, and uh, and test and 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 see what sort of things that I can do to break it or secure it. You know, just you run a UDP scan and everything will. Yeah, just, uh, yeah. just ping it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, but um, uh, but seeing what what uh, how the OT cybersecurity world is going to evolve in um in a way that doesn't roll over all of your critical devices uh, there. Um, is is going to be interesting and i'd i'd like to see what I, i'm always interested to see what what sort of things that uh that people come up with for how we can improve on things when you still have all of these old old um technologies and old communication protocols around and uh and they weren't designed to to even be networked yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it's so. interesting you say that, and this kind of ties back to what we were talking about earlier at the beginning, which is like I saw I was building an OT IoT security practice at the time. But I, I remember when somebody told me this was a thing, I was like, "What are you talking about? I've manufacturing clients not even running IDS. They're going to buy tools for their shop floor? No, it's not going to happen." And then lo and behold, you've got all of these products now that that can they can you know um non-intrusively detect all that because they can't and they all kind of came from the asset management place you know their original intention was oh i need to find all these devices to make sure they're working so i'm making a bunch of money and they realized they could start to add security features onto it now we can feed it to a sim but they kind of skipped over this whole risk assessment analysis grc element right uh so i kind of see like that's kind of where i see the next evolution we're starting to see those 
there's still some of those point products out there. And even there by like, you know, they're, I don't want to name a bunch of products, but certain products bought up other ones to sort of fill their portfolio and then platforms are buying them up. And so it's, it's going the way everything sort of does when the, the people innovate this new idea and the big people buy it up and it just becomes part of the service. We're, we're there in some places, but it hasn't fully evolved to Chris's point because we used to do, um, we would use those technologies and we would, you know, run the scanning, but then we would add on some threat modeling. We would take a look at now your environment. Now the the OT organizations, we would always go talk to the manufacturer and they'd be like, oh, it's air gapped. It's fine because they wouldn't let us test it. Right. Uh, and then we find out, well, guess what? It's not. And so now this is part of your PCI program because it's connected to the same network and you have a planned network and you didn't bother to look at it. Right. <laughs> so um, hold on, hold on. OT systems is part of the PCI network. No, but it, well, no, I'm saying if they were, uh, because they thought, their, no, 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 because <laughs> they, they thought their OT environment was air gapped and it wasn't connected to the network, okay. but it was connected to the network and they had a flat network. So, so because they were transacting on that same network, you know, if you didn't segment it, it became part of it. So, um, or it's okay, now so part it is of the your, nightmare fuel. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> yes, it's it's exactly what it is, PCI. right? So, oh my God. Just an example. Every 90 days. <laughs> <laughs> on on some you know yeah on some pdm or whatever so yeah uh <laughs> oh, is, there, Stas, is there any kind of emerging or uh trends you're seeing as far as what organizations are kind of in need of or evaluating it uh kind of today um i, I mean i think a lot of this is coming down to um a lot there's just a shortage of uh of information security folk right um although there's so many people i mean will i um chris sorry i don't i don't have you on linkedin but will i i know you're getting bombarded with people asking like how do you break into this field and like so am i um but there's still there's still very much um a shortage and especially like a shortage of just um of people that have been doing this for a long time to be able to advise and uh you know point uh customers in the right direction um, I think, uh, I think the emerging pattern here, um, again, is, is what, you know, uh, what Will is saying, like, seem is, seem is being, uh, is, is being flipped on its head. Um, the, um, the, the zero trust, um, zero trust networks, which is a buzzword and has been, and has been for a while, but I think people are starting to finally put that, uh, put that Real. together. Yeah. Um, and, um, I think there's going to be a really heavy focus on like machine learning now and and AI, especially with like the, the Chat GPT. Um, I think that's really putting into perspective like what what can it can actually do when it's actually put in uh, into the right context. So um, I think a lot is changing, but at the same time, I think we, there's still a lot of problems in the fundamentals because if you look at it, right? I mean, like 90% of breaches are all still taking place because somebody clicked on a link or they got they got spammed on on Slack or on Teams and somebody clicked on something. So while there is a lot of new and, and cutting edge and innovative technology, there's still, you know, the basics still need to be uh, implemented. Yeah, we, yeah. we just did our 2023 threats ahead and look at the past trends. And that I always look at the statistics from both the breach costs and all the other analysis and then what we see with our clients. And, you know, it's always people, right? There's always, it's always that, people. that. It's always a human element. But it's interesting. The There are a few things that if you do them, uh, greatly reduce. So at the end of the day, we will all say, Chris probably doesn't want to hear it, but everybody's going to get breached or is at some point, right? Um, so reducing the cost of that breach, a few things really help with that. And employee training was right up there. Yep. Having machine learning and AI in some capacity was up there. And having, if you are in the cloud, having that migration complete, 
was a big deal, right? So if you have a if you have a if you have a complicated security system, an environment full of disparate technologies that don't always work together, or maybe missing people, like the more complex the environment, and the uh, the less sort of you finish that migration, the higher it costs when the, when the breach actually happened. Yeah, unfortunately, the the migration is is a lot easier said than done, right? I mean, there's, I mean, there's there's just so there's so much legacy legacy hardware and software that's still running out there that just don't even know how to do it or how to co even convert it into like a VMware or to, into you know a VM uh, box or uh, or put it on like EC2 and like that's why we work in security and not IT. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I'm just saying I'm I'm not putting my power control systems in the cloud. No, no. Yeah, no yeah, AWS West goes down and, and yeah. all of a sudden the entire yeah, everything goes down. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, no, there are definitely exceptions. I, I did. I was happy to see. I, I did a, a presentation with uh, some of our clients and took some polls. And yep. like employee training is one of those things we've all recognized that it has to happen more than once a year. And for sure, to show you know doing yep. it regularly throughout. And you've got these really cool tools that can test you for phishing. And if you do well, leave you alone. If you do bad, um, and, and most organizations are actually doing it more often. So um, I'm actually kind of not at a loss, but it is one of those things where. Um, somebody's going to click on a link, somebody's going to do something, and it, it's not always wrong. Sometimes people are just trying to help, right? Yep. They're trying to do the same thing. And as hypervigilant as you can be, I think even the most hypervigilant person, person could still make a mistake, and then that could cost the company millions of dollars. For sure. And it's it not often that it comes out of like malicious intent. I mean, often, sorry, sometimes you get a, you know, a rogue actor, but that's, that, that's the exception, not the norm. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it, it's usually people trying to help with infrastructure. I get it. Yeah. All yeah, the time. yeah. There, there you go. There you go. <laughs> but I, I, yep. what's, what's key with, uh, so it, awareness is, is, is a big thing. And that needs to go hand in hand with, um, with understanding that awareness is not going to be 100%. Mm -hmm. So you need to do what you can to contain things as quickly as possible and um, remove the, the human from that. So I know that, yes, my users are going to click on um, on phishing links, and then it tries to download malware, but they can't because they don't have the rights to do that. Yep. Or, yep. you know, there's a, or there is um, the exceptional user that has a cobalt strike beacon downloaded, but I'm able to contain that and it doesn't get anywhere. Defense and so you have to you have to have those safeguards in place. One to say, please don't do this. And yep. two, if you do, we're doing what we can to uh, to make sure that, that there are protections in place to minimize the impact yep. that something is going to happen. Yep. Yeah, that's great. I, that ties kind of to the the prevalence of cyber insurance that I've seen. You know, again, when it first came out few people got it and now everybody has it i think almost every client i know has it in some form but then you know do they have do they have they read it do they know they need an incident response retainer to get paid in your case you know like you, everything you said chris was like just brilliant even a small business can do that can put those those minor controls yeah. so if i do do the wrong thing i can at least contain it but then you need to make sure you have the you know the, the right type of people who can come in and clean up to make sure that everything's is actually gone and that's not the only bad thing that happened well yes but um i'm talking about before it gets to that point absolutely oh. incident response retainer is important but if if i know that that a beacon has has been downloaded and i have something in in place so that 
I don't have to actually send people in to contain it. It's already contained or, you know, we're, we're quarantining them or something like that from, a, from a, as much as possible. You want to remove the human from that equation for sure because machines can do things much more quickly. So you want to automate as much as possible because, you know, the, like the four of us here, we're, we're slow and getting slower. Um, <laughs> machines are getting faster. Yep. And so the more that the more automation that you can you can put in there and make sure that it's tuned to make the decisions that you want it to make, then that that will really help. But absolutely, you know, everything fails. So, you know, you're you're absolutely right about having that incident response retainer. Um, yeah, to, in case, just in case, because otherwise you don't want to be sitting there, especially if you're you're a power utility. Yeah. Hey, my the power is out in the entire province for uh for uh three days, and that means also that the that uh, you can't fly in because you need the lights on in order to get planes in. <laughs> We're not going to talk about the, the incident right. response. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so funny. night. I, I, I have nightmare scenarios without end <laughs> i um I, I was at a conference with the uh ciso of the faa, FAA uh, on tuesday <laughs> like... and he would not talk about this <laughs> um but also just like um getting i mean getting before like going from like needing insurance to getting insurance and now to renewing the insurance that's become uh that's become pretty difficult for a lot of uh for a lot of uh, folks as well yeah um, rates are going up like crazy and oh, nobody's yeah. not buying it everybody yeah. is still <laughs> oh yeah, yeah absolutely and the questionnaires are becoming a little bit more uh more diligent because before it was like do you have antiviruses like yes do you have <laughs> like it was just super basic but now they're actually starting to check yeah. I'm actually having conversations with my uh, departments that handle the insurance mm. and saying, only if you feel you need it, because it's getting less useful. You know, yeah. after, uh, after, uh, was it Merck got their, uh, their 3.5 billion payout or whatever much that was. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's painful for the rest of us. And, and it, it, it shows just how, how, uh, prevalent uh, volatile that uh that is and it's it's just getting worse for us yeah they're in the market to make money not to yeah to, i mean they're Absolutely. not gonna tell, hey have you done a full risk assessment don't read that fine print that's fine and then when you... <laughs> yeah there were when uh when i was in in japan um i was uh and the uh the cyber insurance field was still fairly new there were some companies that were uh that were coming and asking me about you know what what sort of things should we do for uh for cyber insurance um because it's a new field and we feel that we should get into it we want to make sure that we're not getting there what sort of questions should we ask and and um and we had some conversations and then followed up with them and found out that a lot of a lot of those companies because japan is very risk averse oh, yeah. um they wouldn't insure companies of a certain size or larger so it was really only small and medium-sized businesses and then later on they just only did small businesses and said yeah you know it's it's there's just way too much risk for us to be able to to get into that market uh one payout and and uh very uh very interesting well I'll say uh, the three of you did not disappoint. 
Uh, (laughs) Thanks, Dan. Yeah, yeah, of course. This was a great conversation. I mean, just so much information kind of disseminated. And I think I think these are the kind of conversations we hope for that we're able to kind of have bring uh, thought leadership together and kind of really just uh, cut the red tape and let's just dive into it. Thank each of you for making time for this today. I'd like to stay in touch. Hopefully have you guys on the next episode or one in the future. <laughs>